You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. <laughs> that was so bad. Take Do it again. Up, Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I need to come up with a new new voice. Hello, beautiful. <laughs> okay, wait. wait. She's going. I'm so bad at too British. Uh, a I'm British so bad at She okay. just did. That was her. That British. was British. She no, does I'm like so the Hello. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, I'm getting stage fright. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Thanks. beautiful people. <laughs> I'm so bad at impressions, you guys. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Do uh do Hello, beautiful people. Did you what say was that? Cello? <laughs> <laughs> Changing it up. <sighs> How do you pig Latin? Ig pay atinle. Hello, hey, beautiful bay, evil pay. With an accent, too. That was she did so it with an accent. Oh my God. She's taking over. Thank God. She's my stunt double. <laughs> I have the name. It works. Yeah, perfect. exactly. Exactly. A, B, and A, B. She's my stunt double. Oh my God. Well, that was a fucking shit show. <laughs> If you're new here, welcome. <laughs> if you're returning, you'll understand how this happens. If you're new here, please don't stop the recording. <laughs> yeah, if you're new here, immediately subscribe. <laughs> Just in case. We... Oh my God, we're grateful for your listenership. <gasps> you okay. Before listenership. You listenership. <laughs> okay. We Houston. should be a little more professional. <laughs> We are professional. We've done. Oh, okay. Scene? What I episode know. is this? Me. Mine. We are here to talk about Ashley Joe Brewer on the podcast. That's AJB. I'm like right here really quietly just watching yeah. you guys talk <laughs> about like, me. Star- I, I prefer yeah. for it to go I'm that gonna way. I'm going to stare you in the eyes while I talk about you. <laughs> okay. That's, like that's fine. Really deeply. Now you know so how Ashley ALB feels about or feels every week yeah it's okay when people talk about my life you're gonna stare me in the eyes but am i gonna get hypnotized here is that what's going on no i can only hope i think i lost that at never mind Um, (laughs) (laughs) so ajb how did you feel after telling your story wow that's like a loaded question i felt my favorite type of questions fantastic i felt a little bit of like not sharing remorse, but you know how you have that. Oh yeah. Once you share something, I mean, like just to put it in perspective for you guys. So my mom knew about the paternity scandal, my best friend and you know, all the other people that I told about it during the process, but nobody else knows that side of my story. So putting something like that out there is for me where I come from with so much shame attached to it, it's a really big deal. And so it was like, who it's done. It's over. I felt great. And I felt like, holy crap, what did I just do? Oh, I feel like that every time I record. 
<laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like I'm, every time I record, I'm, I feel like I'm getting a tattoo on my face, forehead that says fuck. And it's like, okay, you are no longer employable. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Literally every time I record. So I very much relate. Um, and there are like a hundred (laughs) episodes. So my face is very tattooed. So that will never go away is what you're telling me. Got it. Uh, yeah. Well, (laughs) you, you, you. You, you find peace with it. Yeah. That, that will come. So, yeah, I mean, there's something about, like, putting your story out there and, like, it's kind of, it, it, it's almost like it, there's, like, something terrifying and freeing about it. Mm-hmm. There's so much freedom in it. And just knowing that what you have gone through can potentially help somebody else, I think, is what makes it all worth it. But you do. You have, it's like I felt a weight lifted off of my shoulders after even yeah. just sharing it with the two of you, you know? Yeah. It's Cool. So many people who've come on the podcast and shared their story have told me that their life really changed after. I know that sounds that sounds really like narcissistic to say or whatever, but uh, it like have told me they've had like a life changing experience because they came out with stuff and like it freed them up and they started acting differently in the world. It was very interesting, not something I expected at all. Um, that that was not feedback I I was going to, and like that talking about stuff had, you know, they took different action and went back to therapy, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it's been very interesting. People have different responses to it. Well, I think for me, it's just more being true completely to my authentic self and who my, what my story is and who I am as a person like this, especially the paternity side of things is very much a part of my story that I was so ashamed of and didn't want to share. And now it's like, Hey, I'm owning it and I'm just moving forward, owning it. And and it's a part of my story, whether I wanted it to be or whether I didn't want it to be, it is what it is. Look, here's the deal. Lots of people have had sex with two people within a vicinity of time. You know, I mean, I'm not, not the only saying, one. <laughs> I'm not saying any names, but I know a few. All right. That's all I'm gonna say. Like not all the people where it's been like, wee, you know. I mean, so I feel like partic if you go into a room, a 12-step room of recovering people, and you say, How many of you have had sex with two people in a relatively short period of time, right? Every hand will go up. Right, right. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like the shame is in our head about like, oh my God, I'm such a hoe. Like what's the world going to think of me? Blah, 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 blah. But like, that's just because nobody talks about it. It's not because it doesn't happen. Right. You know, it's true. I I think the shame piece is difficult because you followed, you know, like you, you, you went through, you lived through it. But in terms of like, unusual. I don't think it, particularly in our community, I don't think it's that unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Even though coming from her perspective, right. Coming from how she grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Highly unusual. Well, or, or maybe not. We didn't not, talk about it. I was going to say not unusual, but people were just covering that up because that, I mean, that was definitely, I grew up Southern Baptist and, and, um, and, and they're like th- people, things that kids went through were not talked about. And it's unfortunate because, there was a lot of trauma that ended up staying underneath the surface and things that people needed to get help for. And they didn't because they were not able to go and talk to somebody or find an adult. The amount of people about it. Yeah. And, 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 and the amount of people that I have seen in from being in different treatment centers, from working in programs, being in the rooms, I'll just tell you, 
the majority of people have their dirty little secrets. Oh, right. And for sure. You know what I mean? And like, I feel like in these communities, I remember I lived in, um, in Utah for a while and, uh, and the Mormon girls that would come, they were like super clean cut and whatever. I think I've told you this before. Like they, they were like, well, we're virgins. You know, we have to be virgins when we get married. So they would have anal sex with everyone in high school because that wasn't losing their virginity. And we were like the rest of us who, you know, were imports into the uh, greater Salt Lake City area. We were like, what? Why? <laughs> where the fuck would you do that? You know, and they're like, well, we, we can't, you know, like they're prim and proper. This was they were that was considered in their head. That was considered like prim and proper. <laughs> The the other girls, you know, my my crew or whatever, we were looking at them like, dude, you that is so confusing. <laughs> that is that's the wrong decision. But you know, I feel like it's like what we make into our like in our heads of like what's appropriate and what's not, and what's who's you know what's a sin and what's not, and what's you know like I've seen people. Uh, all walks of life, religion, whatever, come up with some really amazing justifications for behavior. And I I just feel like the shame that we have is so much in our heads. And like when we shine light on the stuff, it's just not that it's like, okay, it happened. Cool. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I love that you talked about too, the, the different aspects. So, you know, anyone who hasn't listened to Ashley Joe's story, please go listen to it. It's, it's so worth the listen. So it's a good. Long episode. It's it's like another Loeb sister episode where we've got there's a lot to unpack, but so worth it to listen from beginning to end. And particularly this part of the story, there is a paternity scandal, you know, and and the scandal, you know, is sounds such a weird word. Scandal. Um, but basically it, it she got the wrong results from uh That's paternity. So crazy testing facility from the testing facility and right and then there's oh god so much there but ended up finding out who the father was towards it was towards the end of your pregnancy no so she was two weeks old she was two weeks old even 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 better and so the the shame that comes with that if you think about it that's placed on the woman only right where you're not there, there is not hordes of people running to each of the men who are involved in it and going, how dare you? You know, whatever else it's, there's right. a spotlight on this mom who had who just had a child who you walked through this pregnancy by yourself. You were a single yeah. mom and I, I being pregnant right now, that, that honestly blew me away. I never, I really never understood pregnancy and I, I never did. It's, it's something that's so normalized. Right. And, and, and everybody gets pregnant and has kids and whatever else. And I did not know the emotional just carry that comes with it and how it's really important to have support through the entire thing. And it's important to have the support of a, of a loving partner and how much that makes a difference. And not only did you not have that, you had two people who were at your throat for something, essentially. There's a uh, question mark up in the air, which, you know, it, it, you, you, 
think you find out the answer and there you go through all the emotions of telling one family <laughs> and the extension within that family. Right. Oh my God. And them finding out that they have a grandchild and processing that processing what this situation has brought to. And then as the child is two weeks old, as there's bonds and thoughts and emotions and all these things that have gone through, then all of a sudden you find out that the, this facility, which you paid a, I mean, this wasn't like 50 bucks for a test, right? This was a lot of money that you put down in order to have an accurate test was wrong and, and wronged you. And now you have to go back until that entire extension of that entire family, that this information is incorrect. And then go to the other side, you know, with the other person who was involved. And then their entire family gets to find out the alternation of that news and, and just how much of a mind F that must have been to you. And not just that, but these, I didn't do a great job of sharing this in my episode were both men that at one point in my life, I was convinced I was going to marry and be with for the rest of my life. So both alleged fathers were men that I like was legitimately convinced at one point I was going to marry. So I had emotional ties to both of them. And to both of their families. So like when it wasn't like a one night stand where I called up mom and was like, hey, woman I've never met, you might be having a grandkid. This was a a woman that I had a relationship with. And so then I had to go through like the conversation with her and being like, hey, by the way, it's not your granddaughter. And I'm so glad she never met her, but like she still sent me a gift and she still sent me all of these things. And so I think the thing that ate at my soul was feeling like I was breaking everybody's heart, like feeling like I was letting everybody down. And that's why I want to burn the place down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that could be like that whole situation with the paternity test testing thing. That is like, that's such a, that's so gnarly. Cause like really what happened was the, you know, the paternity test was wrong. Like had that not been wrong, it would have been, this would have been a non-starter. I I truly look at my life and like that was when my alcohol use took a turn for the absolute worst was after I had my daughter and like how much, and I'm not saying I wouldn't be an alcoholic if that hadn't happened. I absolutely am and had all the signs and symptoms, but like the trajectory that that put my life on unnecessarily. And that's where I just get, I can't focus so much of my energy on it because otherwise I just want to go and I want to freaking spill the beans on this company and tell everybody this, who this company is and what they're doing and that they're wrecking people's lives. And like, then I think too about the people who didn't get an afterbirth test like I did. Like you could be walking around parenting a child that's not actually your genetic child. And that just makes me so pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe that like you get your feet under you and like, then you go like, that could be a passion project. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a passion project. It really could. It could help a lot of people. So it's, you know, the story, you know, the story is not over. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I mean, I think, I think more than anything, it's like actually not super shameful, but it's, it's eye opening, right? Like it's, you know, again, like these were not two people who you didn't know this, you know, I mean, not that I, it matters I, if it, if yeah. it was, it doesn't really no, make the story it, any different. No, but it, but it, it, what they weren't and, and, you know, but it does make the story more difficult in terms of, you know, emotions. What, yeah. In terms of what the, the outcome was. You talked a lot about, you know, being married to an alcoholic. Yeah. And did, when you were married to an alcoholic, were you, did you have any signs of your alcoholism? Like, was that? Well, okay. So I got married right after I got pregnant. And so I was on my crazy alcohol downward spiral after experiencing my incident where I drank and had sex. And so could that have been a sign of my alcoholism? Yes, that could have been. But when I was married to him, I, I drank like a normal person. Normal person. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, and honestly being married to him for the most part out of respect for him, I just, I, I wouldn't drink right. and I didn't right, drink. Right. And so it didn't become a thing really until right as my marriage was ending that I developed this relationship with alcohol. So, I mean, what I heard in that is because my experience is so different, right? Yeah. From that. So what I heard in that is this is something I, I, I've heard about where you have a normal relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. and you see alcoholism in other people, mm-hmm. but your relationship with alcohol or drugs or whatever doesn't look like that. And then there's something that tips the scales and it changes. And what I see, which completely makes sense to me, is that that's really difficult. Like, I've never had a normal relationship with alcohol ever. So I'm not thinking to myself like, oh, if only I could go back to like when I was 10 and just like having a few sips in the closet, you know, it's like, it just, (laughs) there's no, it it was never normal. And I, how confusing it would be where, where you're literally, you know, in a relationship, like you, you experience alcoholism, but you don't have that issue. And then somewhere along the line, you cross that, you know, we call it crossing that invisible line. I think that was a big thing I heard um, that was, you know, could be very useful for people trying to figure out like, what the hell, what I, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, and so not only that, not only did I have the fact that I used to be able to drink like a normal person going against me, but then I also had the fact that I was married to an emotionally abusive alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And so what I knew of an alcoholic was Mm -hmm. him. And so because even when he got sober, the emotional abuse was still there. I thought that was the ism. And so, and it very well may have been the ism in him. And so I, in my head, connected alcoholism to this emotional abuse that I went through. And so for me, coming to the point of accepting that I was an alcoholic, like the first step, hi, I'm Ashley, I'm an alcoholic, that was nearly impossible for me to do because in my head, I said, if I say those words, I am him. And I did not want to be him. And so then you add on top of that, that I could drink normally. And it's just a total mind fuck where I don't want to ever get to that point of admitting it. And so that was really, really hard for me too. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And I think a lot of people experience that where they like, a lot of people I see experience that particularly with their parent where they're like, I don't look like that. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm struggling with alcohol, but like, I don't look like whatever I grew up with, which they know to be alcoholism or dysfunctional mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for people to hear like you, first of all, people can drink normally and then cross some invisible line and not that happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. Mm-hmm. Like you can go from being normal drink, a social drinker to, you know, a, a dependent drinker somewhere along the line. It does happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then alcoholism looks very different for different people. You know, that was kind of that, you know, you don't have to be under a bridge with a brown paper bag to be an alcoholic. Like there, you, you don't have to drink every day to be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You don't have to drink in the morning to be an alcoholic. There's some of these things that people think, you, you know, you don't have to drink hard alcohol to be an alcoholic. You don't have to throw up. You don't have to go to jail. Like there are lots of things that can happen. And, and it sounds like that you had an idea of what an alcoholic looked like. Right. And so my ex-husband and I are very different types of alcoholics. Like he's the alcoholic where he picks up a drink and starts drinking and his life has fallen apart within three days. He's lost jobs. He's bought 17 Mm -hmm. cars. He's taken out loans. So in my head, that's an alcoholic because that you have to remember before this, I was 20 when I got married. So before this, I did not have any experience with alcoholism. So then when I can drink for three days and it'll be out of control and stop drinking for five days, six days, seven days, eight days, nine days, 10 days, I'm like, I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not buying cars and I'm not doing this other stuff that I had seen him do. I'm not puking all over myself. I'm not doing these other things. So I would almost, I think that kept me in my addiction longer because I could compare myself to something that quote unquote looked worse than me. Yep. 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 We look for, we look for some, anyone who looks, you know, you know, we want, we don't, no one wants to be an alcoholic. Nobody wakes up and is like, you know, that's the goal. Right. Right. And so we're all going to try in in some way to disprove the evidence coming our way that we right. are, that we're struggling. I mean, it is, is natural inclination because it's not something you want. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, it's confusing there. And there are what's portrayed you know, in movies, what's, you know, what, what you may come up against some of the most obvious types of alcoholism, that's not the only ones. And so when people have these different types, particularly the ones where it's like, there aren't a lot of consequences or whatever that it can be very, very difficult to come to terms with an, oh, I have an actual problem because it doesn't, you're looking for certain criteria to meet that you don't meet. So you're like, it can't be. Well, and then you, me, as the person who wasn't as bad, I can put myself on this effed up pedestal where I'm like, well, I never drunk, uh, drove drunk. I never got a DUI. I never had my kids taken away. I never had this. I never had that. So it, you you trick yourself into your functionalism of your alcoholism of like, well, I'm so functional that this is socially acceptable. Therefore it's okay. No, it's not. I was dying inside. Like I was a hope to die drunk every day. I wished I would drink enough that I wouldn't wake up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, you know, like looking for the similarities, looking for the similarities when you hear stories and the feelings, like relating to the feelings that people are having, maybe the scenarios are very different, but the feelings that people are having, you know, 
it's not normal to wake up feeling sentenced to another day of life. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's not normal. It's definitely not optimal. And so if that is, if, if you're drinking and in, and, and that's the way you're coping with that feeling, those two things are a problem. Call them whatever you want. So those two things are, are a problem. And I think a lot of people use alcohol situationally too, where it's like they feel that way and then they start to drink more. And some people don't cross that imaginary or not imaginary, but like, you know, invisible line. Mm-hmm. Some people use alcohol for a period of time during a difficult time and somehow they, I don't know. Get out of it. Find their way out. Yeah. They find their way out without having to be abstinent. And then there there are others where we just rewire the shit out of our brain and, you know, and we're off to the races. So I think, you know, the good news is that, or, or the, the hopeful thing is that people, you know, get in touch with the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm abusing this. And if they switch gears and they start to look for other alternatives, they might get themselves on track before crossing that line. Mm -hmm. But that takes some awareness. That's why I'm so grateful for Lion Rock and finding Lion Rock when I did because I got help before it reached a point where something really, really, really bad had happened in my life. Really, don't get me wrong. Really, really, really bad things happened. I did not have bad consequences for things that happened. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that, um, you know, you talk, there's like, we talked about losing a child, right? And like, you know, if you could go back and do it differently, and maybe you wouldn't, but if you could go back and do it differently after the fact, after your son passed away, what types of things with the recovery goggles, if you will, on, would you have done differently to, so that like, like, you know, would you have gone to grief groups? Would you have got like, or maybe you did, would, what, what would you have maybe done differently that may have helped? Yeah, I absolutely would have gotten help sooner. I mean, now when people have somebody close to them die, one of the first things I recommend is talking to a counselor, talking to a therapist. Nobody told me that. Nobody told me that that might be a good idea. And I had some sick, twisted picture in my head of that you need to be super messed up. And I wasn't super messed up. I just lost a baby, you know, which is very hard. But I would absolutely get help sooner. And then I think I would just take off my mask sooner. That sounds so bad. But during Case's life, I was living as though there was a magnifying glass over top of me and my family, just waiting for us to fail. Because, you know, my ex-husband was a recovering alcoholic. I We got married out of wedlock. We had two young kids. We had everything going against us. And so I felt like there was this magnifying glass just waiting for us to fail. And because of that, I wasn't my authentic self. I chose to not be my authentic self. I chose to not tell people, hey, my marriage isn't great. Instead, I put on this face like, hey, everything's fine. We're totally great. Can't you see how good we're doing? And I was not at all authentic to the point where like when people found out about 
my affair and all of that stuff, they were shocked. People who were my best friends were legitimately shocked because I had been living a lie. And so going back to your question of what would I change, I would get help sooner and I would take off the mask sooner and I would find a way to be comfortable being my authentic self, even if being my authentic self makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, that's huge, right? Because it does, I mean, I, I, that, I get that too, where it's like, I mean, I'm not really capable of, of masking much anymore, but like, you know, I can see that I make people uncomfortable, but it's like, it is what it is. Right. And that's hard. You have to get to a place of comfort or, or at least acceptance with Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. um, that can be, have you done any, have you ever been to an adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctional families or an Al-Anon meeting? I've been to Al-Anon. Yeah. So when I went to Al-Anon was when my, uh, ex-husband was first in the program. And I unfortunately had a really negative experience with it just because for me, I'll share it and hopefully that's okay. For me, I went to an Al-Anon group with my husband who's brand new sober. Like he wasn't there, but that's why I was there because he was brand new sober. And I saw these women who were talking about what their husbands did 25 years ago. And that just didn't sit right with me. Like we're still sitting, I don't want to be here 25 years from now, still crying and bawling about what happened to me yesterday. You know what I mean? Like 25 years from now, I want to see a better future than that. So that was not my path or the route that I ended up taking. I know many people find it very, very beneficial. I did go to open AA meetings with him. So every single Saturday night, there was an open AA meeting. We went to those together. That was very helpful because I did get a glimpse of what the ism looked like in other people at that time and began to wrap my head around it. And when we were married, I mean, gosh, I read the big book more times than I can count from front to back just to help myself understand who he is. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because then later in life, as I'm struggling with this, I know all of the things. I Mm -hmm. know all of the stories. I've read them all. And I am like butting my head against it going, no, that's not me. Like, I don't want it to be me. And it is, and it was, and I am, and that's okay because, you know, just like you're an addict and I'm an alcoholic, it doesn't mean we're the same damn person. Like we still are different people who experience different things and go through life differently. Yep. And, and it's, you know, we have fatal reactions to that. We have, you know, that's, that's our, that's the disease, right? We have fatal reactions to, to things. Yeah. And, you know, uh, with regard to Al-Anon, you know, the way that it's set, the way that Al-Anon is set up is typically like a lot of people, I think a lot of people have your experience. The way mm-hmm. that Al-Anon is, is not all Al-Anon groups, but the way that Al-Anon kind of functions is that people go there and they have a qualifier, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're qual, like, cause my mother-in-law, she's been in, she celebrates like Al-Anon, I think she's celebrating 20 years this year. And, you know, the way that she is you ta- is they would talk about their experience as the partner mm-hmm. and how they recovered and how mm-hmm. they went through it and so they would talk about their so like they talk about they share their experience from 25 years ago and how that was and and how they got through it as their as part of their experience strength mm-hmm. and hope the same way that when i go to a meeting, I'm going to talk about my experience, you know, the same way I talk about my sisters or whatever, Mm -hmm. and that's emotional or whatever it is. And so I think what's difficult and what I've seen before too, is like people are going there, you know, particularly if it's a child that they're, you know, 
that's their qualifier. That's their person there. You know, they're, it's, it feels their circumstances feel very different. And I think Al-Anon can be really great if you're going, you know, going for support and learning how to interact with someone who's not in their right mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience with how to interact. And when you employ the lessons from the way that the Allen honors show you how to mm-hmm. act, you will, ch- you tend to, the, the behavior of the alcoholic tends to shift as well. Yeah. And I, I fully agree with that. And honestly, I refer people to Helen on yeah, all the time yeah, yeah. just for me. And I don't know if it was just the group I went to, it just wasn't the way that I took, but I loved going to meetings with him and just yeah. learning more about recovery. Cause again, I was clueless at the time that that happened. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. I want to interrupt this episode to have a short little discussion about support groups. And there is no better person to talk to about this than my production coordinator, Ashley Joe Brewer, AJB, if you will. AJB, hi. Hi. Okay. You're a big fan of community. You attend community support group meetings. Give Why? Why, why should people care? I absolutely love community because it creates a community. And I know that sounds funny, but It truly provides a space for anyone and everyone, no matter what they are going through. Just to give you an example, I invited or told a friend about community because she was really struggling with binge eating disorder and had gone to many different groups and felt shunned or not accepted or like it wasn't a place for her. And at community, she found a place because in community meetings, it's we don't care what the substance is or what the struggle is. Everyone is accepted no matter where they are in life, no matter what they are recovering from. And I think that's what's beautiful about community. Oh, I love it. And I, I yes, I 100% agree with you that the value is that you don't have to know what your problem is, what your struggle is, what you want to give up or not give up, or whether you're abstinent or whether you're stopping, whatever, whatever it is, you are welcome and you are welcome in this place. And it's a great place to discover the answers to all the questions that you're looking for in a community and have that support. And it's free to anyone. You go to lionrock.life. And there is a tab with community meetings. There are different days, different times, different subjects. There's even a cooking group called Community Table. There are so many different options, something out there for everyone. So I highly recommend, maybe after you listen to this, if you are looking for more community in your life, more friends, more support, please, please go check out community, lionrock.life. Click that community tab. Yeah, and a lot of people come into Al Anon before they end up in AA. So that's <laughs> not, not the not only un- one. <laughs> yeah, that's not, we call it, they call it coming in the back door. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it does, I think it's, it does have, I remember my parents went to one Al Anon meeting and they were like, nope, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, So, you know, whereas my husband's mother still goes every week. Yeah. Yeah. So AJB, 
or Ashley Joe, going going back to first of all, I, I want to thank you for sharing your story about about losing your son and Cornelius. You call him Case. It's just heart wrenching to hear, and I, I there's just there's just no words, and we're just so sorry that that you went through that and that you went through that loss. Um, would love for you to expound upon you know just your experience walking through that a little bit more and you know any any kind of grief or loss is going to be difficult on somebody and affect their mental health in some way you, you've even said losing a child that that's something that's so unnatural my stepmom's lost a child as well a child and a husband and the the losing her daughter affected her way differently than losing her husband obviously both were very difficult but it's out of order in life to lose a child right it's something no parent should ever have to go through and so you know if you could talk a little bit more about going through that process and specifically you know you you kind of you you were so young whenever you had him and whenever you um, started you got this diagnosis and realizing you're 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 about to face something and just that intuition and knowing that can you talk about how that specifically contributed to maybe what was already there and your mental health and that process of like what happened afterwards? Yeah, so I went through a very interesting process here because at first, because Case's life was so not fun, like. I mean, as a mom, you do not want to sit and watch your child like struggle to breathe or need machines to breathe. My child never drank a bottle after six months of age. Like he had a feeding tube. He was connected to machines 24 seven. Nobody wants to see that. And so I went through this weird sense of relief after he passed where like, I don't have to watch my baby struggle anymore. And that was a very beautiful thing for me that I didn't have to watch him struggle anymore, but it doesn't mean the hurt from the loss isn't still there. And so in this way, I use that how terrible his life was as like a justification for, you know, it's okay that he died because his life was terrible. And then kind of internally didn't focus on things that I should have been focusing on. Like your baby died while you were holding him. That's a pretty dang big deal. And so even when people would bring it up, I may have even done it with you guys. Like, it's okay. His life was terrible. And I still do feel that way. But part of that is we were given 0% hope. So we were given, there was no silver lining to be found. And what's very interesting is when my mental health really took a turn for the worse, and I didn't share this just because of how long Ashley and I had been talking So the disease my son died from is called spinal muscular atrophy. And as of a few years ago, I had just found out that there's a cure for the disease. Essentially, it's a miracle drug now that if they administer this gene therapy to babies, if they get their diagnosis early, there are kids now who are like walking and running and talking and doing all of these things. And so I found that out in the midst of my drinking by my sister saying to me, oh my goodness, I was talking to one of my doctors and one of my doctors said, well, how does your sister feel now that there's essentially a cure for that disease? It came out after Case died though, right? After Case died. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, but that what I found out by my sister saying that. So I hadn't kept up with that community. And so I just, for my own mental health, I hadn't yeah. kept up with that community. I couldn't because I would like you, Christiana, you take on people's pain. I would take on everybody from the SMA community's pain and take it on my shoulders. And so when she told me that was when I went and researched and started seeing these stories of people walking and babies doing these things that my son never got to do. And like, it was this weird emotion of being so happy that like they've done that. It's actually the most expensive drug that exists on the market. It's like $2.175 million for a single dose of this gene therapy. What? Yeah, literally. And, but I went through, that was probably the darkest days of drinking that I've ever had was after I found that out because I was literally like, so you're telling me that here I am like 10 years later and now I, I could, how do you do that in your head? Like I could be holding my son and he could be running and walking and talking and like, I'm just 10 years too late. Oh yeah. That's crazy. Oh my God. And how do you wreck? I mean, you can't even rectify that in your head. Right. right. And so just... what I did is I just drank myself into a stupor. Cause I was like, I don't know how to process these emotions going on in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm like so happy and so depressed about this all at the same time. I don't want to feel any of these thoughts. So I'm just going to drink because if I drink, I won't feel any of them. And that was the darkest days. And it was, yeah, it, it was really, really hard going through that. And I feel like me not fully processing through it, not going to therapy, Ashley, like you asked me, not recognizing the situation for, yeah, it it is okay that he died because his life was terrible, but you still lost a baby. That doesn't mean this isn't hard for you. Like that part of things, I think I didn't process any of that. I mean, I'm still processing it today yeah. in You'll therapy. You'll be processing it for the forever. rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't bury a child and not have that change your DNA. Right. The, the same way that when you have a baby, it changes your DNA. You, you know, you're just, it's just something, I don't know. And, and this, you know, if you, you know, I, I always think to myself, you know, even after we've been talking, you know, the last couple episodes, we've been talking about my life and having a child, you know, I always think to myself, like, if I lost a child, how do I, how would I live after that? Like, how do I live after that? And, you know, I'd have to have another child to live. I don't, if I didn't have any kids and I lost my only child, I, I, you know, that, I don't know how that scenario, like, I can't imagine that scenario. So like, you know, it, it's going to change you no matter what. But again, it's kind of like what we talk about with the liabilities becoming our assets and like what you have to offer. And, and yeah, you were 10, 10 years too late you know, and in some ways I thought, thank God you weren't two years or one year too right, late. Like right. that would have been way worse. Right. Holy shit. You know, like at least it was in a, a period of time. That's like not even f- not feasible. Doable. Right. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. It's not mm-hmm. like he, if he had held on for six months, like, or a year or whatever, you know, and again, I, that's me looking at the silver lining, but I think it just changes your mental health is never going to be the same. Mm-mm. you know, your baseline is always going to be different mm-hmm. and that's okay. You know, it's like if you've been to, if you went to Vietnam and and fought or you went to Iraq or Afghanistan, like your mental health is never going to be the same as someone who didn't do that. Well, and it's interesting because in some ways I feel like my threshold with mental health 
is way higher than a lot of people's. And then in other ways, it's like the fuse is this big because right. of well, that because experience. It's different, right? right. It's, it's a different baseline. It's a different baseline. And like, I, I, I relate to that totally. I totally relate to that where it's like my baseline for chaos is going to be very different than other people's and in some ways and in other ways, you know, like no tolerance for it. So, but I don't think that that's bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, if you didn't, if your baseline didn't change after that, because you've experienced something that puts everything in life into perfect perspective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So all the bullshit stuff that we, you know, that we think matters and like, you know, the money or having the right furniture, or the car or whatever it is, you insert whatever you want. None of that. You have a perspective that tells you none of that matters. You have a perspective of time, of, of, you know, life space. You know, it's just all, it's always going to be different. And it's interesting because I very much live for today. And mm-hmm. like, even in some ways, and partially because of case and partially because of other parts of my story, planning for the future long, 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 long term is very, very hard for me because mm. I've planned. I've planned. I'm a planner. That's what I do. It's what I've done for a living for the 12 years prior to this. And anytime I've planned, it hasn't gone that way. <laughs> and so, right. And it's like, uh, then what's the point of freaking planning? If it's not right. going to go that way, I might as well just roll with the punches. Right. And that's, it teaches you, like, I think a lot of us, myself included, use planning, forward planning as a way to cope with feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. And you've had the experience of not being able to plan your way out of a situation. Like mm-hmm. nothing you did. There was no possible, like, you are not in control. And we all get that experience. I had that experience when I was pregnant with the twins in a very like deep, deep way of like, you are, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to, like, you are not in control. Mm -hmm. And, and this, this, this is, you know, high speed train, no stops. And I think, I I think that does change you a bit because you're like, okay, like there's a, I'm, I'm not, it's, you know, there's a, I, I need to learn how to go with the flow or I need to, it changes how you think about the world. And I, in some ways that's a good thing. And it comes from, you know, scar tissue is tough, right? But it mm-hmm. comes, fr- it comes from a vulnerability. It comes from a cut. It comes from pain. And a lot of what we talk about in, on this podcast and generally is how we were broken and put ourselves back together. It's not, you know, courage to change, right? That's about being in pain and fear and standing up and walking through it. It's mm-hmm. not about it, you know, it being a beautiful meadow and lots of music and happy go lucky. It's about, it's about being in the shit and going, I'm not going to stay here. Right. And, and, and how do I get through it? And that's what changes people and creates grit and creates, or, or, or maybe that's where grit comes from and, and creates, you know, those of us who have these stories to share, which is, that we had to go through something dark to appreciate the light. Yeah. Because without the dark, there's no contrast. You don't know the difference. And I think there are so many things like 
gosh, when you say looking back, what can you change? Like, I wish I would have taken more pictures. And so there's people who like talk Mm, about family pictures and they're like, oh, I don't want to take family pictures. And I'm like, no, take them, take them. They might be all you have one day. Like one day, those pictures may be all you have. So go and take them and take them at every phase, at every age Mm -hmm. and print them and put them places in your house and look at them because they might be all you have someday. And so I do, I think I just look at the world from a different vantage point Mm -hmm. now with with that life experience. And in some ways it's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. And in some ways it's like a very scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. But I think, I, I think it's, I think it's also a very valuable thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always say I'm so thankful for Case and for the lessons he taught me because Mm -hmm. I think the lessons he taught me in his life and in his death, you know, that's where I shared, I found like my power and I found this, this strong woman that I am today without him, I would not have that. Yeah. And yep. so that is the, that's the silver lining really. Right. And the story right. is, is because of that journey, I am who I am today. Yeah. And I think also there was nothing you could have done differently to make it a different outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, there's, there's some relief in that mm-hmm. in a weird way. Like, the, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's not, it wasn't like it was curable and you didn't work hard to cure it enough or whatever, like you lagged or what, whatever the reason, you know, right. none of that is the case. And, you know, I have, it is rare that I have grown. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say never, but probably never. Um, I have, I don't grow when things are easy and calm and like, I'm just coasting. Right. Like that's not when I grow. It's not when my, you know, it's not when I work hard. And like the reason I work hard is because I don't like being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like being in pain. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like do the recovery shit. Cause I'm like, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live living crazy. And you've had to grow a lot because mm-hmm. of the, you know, the proportionately to the pain that you experienced. And while, you know, if we could go back and redo it, we probably would, it, you know, it still has value. I, I think I had to grow or I had to die. Like those were my two options. I did have options, but it was like life or death, life or death for me. And that's, that's truly the place I've been so many different times in my life is like, you have a choice to choose life or you have a choice to choose death. And that's kind of ironic because I chose to pull the plug on my son and like, we all have that choice every single day. And it's about, it's about making that choice and choosing life. Yeah. And you've done that and it's really cool. It's really beautiful to watch. Really beautiful to watch. Thank you. Sometimes I wish it wasn't my story. I mean, I think we say that a lot. Like I am so grateful for my story beyond grateful, but I would never wish this journey on anybody else ever, ever, ever. I wouldn't want my best friend or my worst enemy to have to go through that road that I walked and saying goodbye to my son. That's just something that is, is so, so difficult and it can't be really put into words adequately. No, I don't think there are words for that. I don't think there are words for that. I really don't. I'm sorry that happened. I'll give you the same response. (laughs) I mean, I always say it like, it's okay. It it really is. Nothing can change it. Nothing can go back and change it. And I'm a better, stronger person because of it today. And, And I'm still sorry it happened. I know. Yeah. 
You know? It does. It sucks. And I think that was one of one of my realities this past year was I think when people have experienced death, we put so much pressure on ourselves around anniversary dates and mm-hmm. birthdays. And so this year, one of the big awakenings I had, it was his 13th birthday. And I was like, you know, it's okay to just have it be another day. And it's okay to just be sorry to just be like, you know, it sucks. It sucks that my kid freaking died, but I don't have to be on like one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum. It can just be another day. And there's nothing wrong with it just being another day. And like you, like I say, oh, it's okay. He's in a better place. And you're like, right, but I'm still sorry. Like, and you should be. And I should be. Right. Like I'm still, and I think that's the hard, like, it's such a hard thing because, you know, none of us know how to talk about it. I think you and I've talked about this. Like none of us know how to talk about this shit. Like, what do you say to somebody? How do you support them? What do you, you know, and there isn't anything to say, Mm -mm. but I think, you know, I think that like what, what, what I mean is like, I'm sorry this happened. And like, I know that, you know, I, I, I do believe that, you know, the suffering ended and I do believe all those things, but I'm still sorry it happened. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's still, I'm still, it's still wish it hadn't happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you can take all of the, I think we, I think grief is death and grief is so weird because it's like all the niceties, like all the things that we all are trained to say or do and it, like nothing feels good enough or real enough or deep enough. No word, you know, like you said, there are no words. And so Mm -hmm. we try to, we all try to use words Mm -hmm. to, to talk about it. And like, that just doesn't suffice for this, but you know, death is strangely a very natural part of life mm-hmm. that, that we as a species have, at least in our culture have hidden away mm-hmm. and made very traumatic. And I wish there wasn't a discomfort talking about death because yeah. like, I'm not going to speak for everybody who's lost somebody, but I want to talk about my son. I want to talk about how he lived and I want to talk Mm -hmm. about how he died, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Right. And yet every time somebody dies, even me, I look at them like deer in the headlights. Oh, shit. (laughs) What do I say? Their person died. What do I do? I'm not sure what to do. But that needs to change. It needs to not be such an uncomfortable thing. It's the only guarantee in life is death. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's a, my sister Marina did a really cool series. My sister Marina, her best friend, um, like lifelong best friend died when they were 24. She was hit by a truck Mm -hmm. and, um, and she did this series about, um, and she, she wrote, she did a post on it and talked about, um, what, like what it feels like, how like your whole world freezes and everything is like, keeps going. And like, she, she did this incredible, um, illustration and then description of it with it that, um, I've sent to a couple people who've lost children and, and I, you know, and she talks about how like, it's the moment you realize it's the most natural thing, but none of us know how to deal with it. Right. And it's just ironic and interesting because the people who lose people do want to talk about them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I've heard because it it means that 
someone else is caring enough to acknowledge the life mm-hmm. and that that helps them because then then the person who has lost the loved one doesn't have to sit there and pretend for somebody else's sake that it didn't happen. Oh, sorry, let me gloss over this yeah. so that you know right. we can kind of quickly move on. But it it just it shows that people care enough mm-hmm. to be like, well, you know, hey, tell me more about it. And it's almost like keeping that spirit, you know, that spirit of that person alive. I really wish, like as somebody who's lost somebody, I really wish that it didn't make people so uncomfortable because it's like this crazy cycle of it makes them uncomfortable and then it makes you uncomfortable and then it makes them uncomfortable and then it makes you like simple things like, Hey, I'm Ashley and I have four kids. Three of them are here. One of them is three. One of them is 10. One of them is 14. One of them is an angel baby. He lives in heaven. When you say those things to strangers or somebody you're just meeting on the street, like immediately it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, I know you are. I've heard this 10 billion times. Like, it, but I can't not say that my son is my son and that he's a part of my life, you know? And, and, but also if someone says that, we can't not say, I'm really sorry. I know. I, and that's what I right? mean. It's like this cycle of like, we, we I don't have to. <laughs> But there's a difference. I can say, I'm really sorry that happened to you. And I can feel like I can say it as a statement Mm -hmm. and I can say it as like a support and and a truth Mm -hmm. without getting super weird about it. Right. Like that's the difference is Mm -hmm. that I'm like, cause, cause when I said that to you, you were, you went into your normal response mode. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, no, like it's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say anything. I'm sorry that happened to you. Mm -hmm. And I know all the other stuff. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, how does that interaction with you explaining that, you can say, I'm really sorry that happened. And then tell me more about your son. Like there's a way, to, if if we normalize it, if we change the way the conversation, we can still have the convert, we can still use the same words without the exchange being awkward. Because it's mm-hmm. awkward to not say you're sorry about that. Because For sure. Right? But if you follow it up with out that energy of like, fuck, what do I do? <laughs> the deer in the headlights. The deer in the headlights, right? Like that's the part that's awkward because it's like, you know? Yeah. And then I think people, like I would be like, okay, do they want to talk about it right now? Like, do they, should I not ask any questions? Like there's, and so I think one of the things that people who have law, not that it's your job, but it to lead, to, to show leadership in where you want to go with the conversation. Yeah. Cause I think that's where it's like, oh, this is my, my angel baby or, or, you know, he, I have four kids, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. He yeah. passed away. I'm really sorry that happened. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So my other kids are da, 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 like, or, you know, you do want to talk about, or you don't mm-hmm. like leading the way. Cause I think that's where people, it's like, I don't want to push on that if you don't want to talk about it. Oh, and I think that that's, the right decision because there are times where right. I did not want to talk about it to a stranger in front of me sitting right. at the bank. I was two seconds from tears, but then there right. are also times where it's like, okay, you're Ashley and Christiana. I totally know who you guys are. I want yeah. to talk to you about my son because right. I'm comfortable with you. Right. Right. And I think that's the leader, like leading us in the direction. And I think that that's exhausting too. And I know a lot of people who have grief, especially in the early, you know, first five to 10 years, you know, minimally the first couple of years are don't go out a lot because they're just like, I can't have this conversation with people. Like I can't do the dance. Oh, and I, and I have my dance. Like I have the spiel of, Oh, oh no, sure. it's okay. His disease was terrible and he's in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in a better, like I have that whole spiel down like that. 
<laughs> I the thing that bothers me is like I don't want anyone I don't want someone who's lost someone who is going through grief to spend a moment trying to reassure me. Right. That's the part that's so hard. Well, I'm like, stop. That's where I've been. I've been the mom literally consoling strangers I've never met before, bawling in front of me like, oh my God, this lady just told me her son died and they start bawling. And I'm like, no, like I've been hugging them being like, no, seriously, it's okay. (laughs) Right, right. And like, you know, I mean, I don't, I I can't speak to that situation. I have no idea. But like I, for me personally, I'm always like, do not apologize or try to console me. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, but that's, it's, I think that's why grief is just such a hard dance for people. And it's, I think, when you're grieving, you're also exhausted. Like it's an exhausting, Mm -hmm. like no energy lethargy. And so (laughs) the last thing you want to do is this like fucking hop around dance. And so I think a lot of people isolate Mm -hmm. and that's also why they like to hang out with people or go to these groups where other people understand Mm -hmm. and have that same experience because they don't do that to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, people do that with with uh, lesser things. You know, people do that with alcoholism or, or sobriety. They find out you're sober and they're like, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I appreciate that. But like, you have no fucking clue why. Like, I just told you I was an alcoholic and you're proud. Like, I don't know. So it, it's like people, <sighs> so you true, tell though. people. No, but I mean, people like don't know what to, I mean, the best is like, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I don't drink. I, you know break out in handcuffs. I'm an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh my God, you know, like it's just, and, and so now I'm, now I'm, we're doing a dance here. They you give know? you and like think, a congratulations and you're like, oh fuck. I'm like, can we not, can we not like, yeah. And like I, I, the best is the ones at the bar or like when in a drinking situation and they're like drinking, telling you how proud they are of you. And I'm just like, I don't know you. Like, <laughs> Stop being proud of me. It makes me very uncomfortable. I'm so um, proud of you. You did like, good why job. Are you, I'm not proud of you. And I don't like, I don't know. What, what? Good for you. Yeah. That's, oh, that's the one. Whenever good. I used to, I, I never drank. I mean, I never drank when I was networking back, you know, in the day. And so someone would like go to hand me a drink. This is the only experience I have yeah, like, yeah, yeah. anywhere close to that. And they, and I go, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I'm not drinking this evening. And they'd, that straight up it. And that's why I would never drink because it's business. And I just was like, I just don't yeah. kind of feel okay about move. this. Yeah. Not, and like literally straight up in my face, like spitting good for you. <laughs> that's so good. And it's like slosh. Here comes the, the lime and the martini. And I'm like, okay, well, yes. Good for me. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye now. Like, <laughs> But that's so like, that's too a much. Comment- this is all a commentary on people don't know how to have people don't know how to have difficult. We're trained whether we want to be or not to only have polite conversation and not to go like, and not to we're trained to like say the right thing and not, not the authentic thing. And the authentic thing Mm -hmm. when someone says, you know, the authentic thing when someone says to me, I'm really proud of you. I mean, I don't embarrass people because that's not useful. Um, but the, <laughs> it's just not, but it would uh, but be entertaining. It would, yeah. But like I, when people like who don't know me are like, Oh, I'm really proud of you. You know, I just step out of that conversation as fast as I thinks, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't, you know, go into it, but you know, if I'm having authentic conversation with similarly like in that same kind of realm 
with grief or loss or, or disease or whatever it is, like I, I really try to make sure that I express that I do not want that other person to spend any of their energy consoling me about their loss. Mm-hmm. Because I think we have this, this pattern in our, in, in our culture these niceties and it happens. I've, I see it happen. I've seen it happen. I've done it. I've done it where, mm-hmm. where I've like shared with people, you know, and they're crying over my experience, like their, my experience. And I'm looking at them like, Oh, fuck. You know, like, what do I do here? Like, it's, I, I'm so disconnected from it too. Like, I'm not about to get connected to that feeling with this person I just right. met who's crying right. over my incident. Like, it's just, it makes me even less connected because I'm right. so like, whoa. And I, I just think it's something people don't know how to, you know, manage emotions and complex situations. So they just say what they think is, which I, and now I'm backtracking and like, fuck, now people are going to be really worried about they're going to over. I'm like, oh, great. I just made everybody overthink it. You'll too. make, you'll make people think twice. It's okay. <laughs> Don't yeah. say anything. Don't say, well, it's, <laughs> it's like the people are trying to sell you something and they're like, you'll really like this. I'm like, so you know what I like? Right. Like, How'd you find that out? And yeah, you're, like, exactly. you're the salesman, just FYI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. So, but I, I think, you know, these are things that are really helpful in, how do we talk about these things in recovery and Ashley, your experience being in recovery, having this experience. And also your experience is really unique in that like there was nothing you could do. He was living in uncomfortable space. So like there's a lot of different elements. So it's not super straightforward of like, bam, he was hit by a car and, you know, like there's a very different process with Mm -hmm. it. And I think there's a lot of value. And, you know, I think your general, just generally your story, you have a lot of points of things that you've walked through and to, and, and had to learn how to deal with that are going to be incredibly valuable to many people mm-hmm. and help. And you'll see that you'll help people walk through the same stuff and you'll help them process it. And in doing that, it will change how you feel about your own situation. Yeah. I think that's cool. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, how do you wrap this up? But I think to that, to that point too, um, you know, I, I, I realized that one of my reactions was the same. You were right. Whenever I would hear that someone had lost somebody. And so what I ended up doing was calling my stepmom, you know, who's before she got married to my dad, she unfortunately lost both her husband and her daughter to a car accident, um, separate five years within each other and found out while she was standing, like found out at the same point, like someone came to her door and told her. And so she went through quite the journey, you know, of grief and, and, uh, people not knowing if she was going to make it through the grieving process. And so I asked her, I said, just what do I, how do I handle this? Because I've noticed yeah. it gets so awkward. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you know, and then I'm one of the people that, that probably cries too, because I immediately start thinking, oh my God, how, how would this person be feeling? And she said, honey, you know, there's, there's, everyone feels differently about it, you know, but she said, I think the thing that, helped me the most is just people that acknowledged it. Like it helps to just acknowledge it. And she said, there's like, there's two phrases you can say. And one of them is just, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. And then she's like, honestly, people just hugging me and, and just 
and she's and and now you know we'll talk about them and so when she brings one of them up mm. then i know that's my cue to talk to her about it right you know? right and so she's like given me some things it's her her daughter jenny she's given me a few things of hers which was so you know kind or she'll talk about a memory or something that one of my sisters and I will do that reminds her of, of Jenny or something she would do. And she was so feisty. She loved this. So then we'll, we'll know to ask her questions about it. What did she do? And when she played, you know, this sport, then, then can you tell us about like, like, what was that like watching her and, and what was her, then we'll ask about the person, like, what was her personality like? And, She'd always talk about, you know, how she had friends. She had so many friends. Well, what were her friends like? And, and what did her friends say about her? And, and and we take her cues on that. And so that's another thing I learned is just to kind of sit and wait and be sensitive and see if someone's giving you that lead, like where they want to talk about it or if they're ready to shut down. You know, like, eh, I kind of don't want to go here and be like, oh, okay. You know, but like to not... I think the valuable lesson I learned from her is to not be afraid to just like sit with them and acknowledge it for, for a moment, just take a beat. Like I'm just like you did Ashley to Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, it is, it's like the worst thing that you can do if somebody, you know, has lost someone and they start talking about that person is change the subject because if mm. they bring it up, they need to talk about it. They mm. want to talk about it. And I also yeah. think there's nothing wrong with asking questions like, Hey, do you want to talk about him? Do you want to tell me a story about him? And if they, that gives them the opportunity to say, not right now. Not right now, but sometimes that's, they that's do. That's so intense for people like it, to ask questions like that. Oh man. It, it is. But, you know, I especially think on like anniversary days, there've been times where my friends have come over like, what's today like? Do you want to talk about it or do you not yeah. want to talk about it? And letting me set the stage for, no, you know what? Today I'm fine. Let's just go out and have fun or set the stage for, no, I do. I actually do want to talk about it. Like I, I want to talk about him because he happened. He was alive. He, his life was a part of mine. And, you know, the further you get from the date that the person died, the easier it gets to start losing some of those real life memories that occurred. Right. right. And that is hard when those things start going away. That's when it's really, really hard. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense when it's like, oh my God, am I losing the memories? That was my husband's point of grief when he lost his mom. It was this past year he realized he crossed the threshold of, I've now lived more life without her than I did no. with her. Yeah. And he's he, every time the anniversary of her, her death comes up, he's actually similar to what you were, you were talking about, Ashley Joe. He's okay. He kind of wants, he wants to talk about her. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he goes to the grave. Sometimes he doesn't. You know, it's just kind of feeling out and asking him where he's at. This year he was a mess. And he's like, how could I have lived more life? without my mom than, than with her. So then it was like sitting with him and, okay, well, do you want to talk about her? You know, do you want to talk about that? And you want to go look at pictures and, you know, he, he, for himself, he kind of had to just be quiet and be left alone for a while. So I think that's good. And I, I think it's learning as hard as it is because in society, we don't want to be uncomfortable and we don't want to have uncomfortable conversations because it's painful for us. It's hard for us. It's like, ooh, we're sitting in that discomfort, but being okay with it and realize we're not hurting anybody 
you know, or it, it's it's okay to sit there and like take it take that risk to ask like, is this something you want to talk about? Even though that's uncomfortable for you to ask, you know, mm-hmm. is, is this something you want to talk about? Even if someone has a hyper reaction to it, like no, and shuts you down, knowing that it's not personal, right? They were the one that went through the loss, and just being sensitive and giving grace for that, and and yeah. just knowing that that's okay, you know, and and that. They might they might look back and and appreciate that you tried, you know you reached a hand out and so I think you know in sales they teach you to sit in the uncomfortable silence. Mm-hmm. You ask the closing question and you sit there and you just wait for the other person to answer. You know when you're talking that's so hard for us as a society to do, like because we just want to like jabber about everything and fill the silence. But mm-hmm. when someone's gone through that type of a loss, you know, just being sitting in that silence and wait for them to answer. Just give them a sec. Just take a breath. Silence is okay. And just be sensitive to them and know that they're, they went through the loss. They may need to think about that answer or whether or not they want to respond to you. And just, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for me too, because I don't want to hurt anybody. So it's like, oh God, I, I, my, my, the one thing I'm going to ask them is going to like, either completely devastate them or send them off, you know, the other way. And it's like, no, don't put so much on you. This isn't about you. This is about them. Give them the chance to respond. Give them the chance to have whatever reaction needs to happen. And then again, give them that grace in that moment to know that's okay. I I think what would be like a cool way to to wrap this episode is for everybody listening, if you know somebody who has dealt with something like maybe similar to what we're talking about or like grief or loss, to go out and practice changing the way you have the conversation, um, maybe the way you react, practice a pause and around some of the things that we've talked about and some of the ideas that Ashley Joe has has um, put out about how to deal with this and talk to them and see if you get like practice that different response and see what kind of, what kind of reaction and, and response and interaction you get from that and share it with us. You know, you can share it on the podcast episode post on Facebook or Instagram, like actually share it as a comment or email us um, at podcast.lionrock. No podcast at lionrock.life because I think that would be really cool and and to I think also you know Ashley Joe would can see how her experience is, is helping others. Yeah. So I love that. Awesome. Well thank you Ashley. I really appreciate it. You did an incredible job and um I look forward to lots of feedback from our listeners and also you know, your amazing help on this podcast. So much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.